You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, and on today's episode, we have another exciting phone-in interview. We're still dealing with the coronavirus, so we have to be careful. So we're doing this over the phone, but we still have a great guest nonetheless. He is a creator and owner of Keegan Ales, one of my favorite businesses in the area. It's a brewery, and they got lots of music, too, so we got lots to talk about. I'm talking about Tommy Keegan himself. Tommy, welcome to The Rick Z Show. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I mean, here we are in the middle of phase two and a lot of businesses are starting to open now how has the coronavirus impacted your business and what has this experience been like for you well it's definitely been a uh, I don't know how to describe it as anything but something that was so unexpected you know like everybody else depend doesn't matter what business you're in everybody was kind of caught off guard and had to pivot and change things we were lucky that we were able to do things like home deliveries, um, which is something that is, um, the governor did a good job just getting that done uh, with an executive order, which is supposed to expire, I think, the end of next week. And there's talk that they might extend that for a little while, which would really help not just my business, but the whole food and beverage industry, the restaurant industry and brewers, of course, are important to me. And then we, you know, we were able to do takeout and we were just, we got some PPP money to help do some, you know, keep some of my guys employed. We all kind of went on a semi-furloughed work schedule so that we were able to, you know, stay active in the brewery, stay active with our community, but still be able to uh, take some time off and save some payroll. I lost about 80% of my revenue stream when wow. this happened. Wow, that's a lot. And. And not only that, it's 80% of my revenue stream at the time that I'm supposed to be the most busy, you know, coming out of the winter into spring and into summer is this is my time to make hay, so to speak, when the sun's shining, you know, so that it's been, it's been difficult, but we've been able to come through it. And then now, and then another thing where the state's been really proactive and helpful, where they put outdoor dining into phase two as opposed to phase three. And we were able, as you know, Rick, uh, able to do some uh, outdoor dining. It's cut into, you know, some of our stuff, but at least we were able to start, you know, laying some pints and getting people out into the streets. And I never understood the concept of Cabin Fever until I opened a restaurant and went through COVID-19 because they came out like hungry, hibernating bears. They were you know, anxious to, and uh, I, I want to think they were anxious to come drink my beer, but they were just anxious for some social interaction. I like, think they were anxious for, for both. Well, I appreciate that, and they were anxious for some live music, so that's why we were glad to have you there. But just, And just kind of give our regular customers some sense of, I mean, we're, we're outside partying in the parking lot and staying six feet apart and wearing masks and doing all the right things. So it's not a real sense of normalcy, but it's at least a sense of a step towards that, you know? Yeah. Um, well, while we're on that, Tommy, why don't you tell our listeners what safety measures you've set in place to make visitors uh, feel comfortable and safe? Yeah, sure. So I'm fortunate enough to have good neighbors. Uh, one is Timely Signs, and then uh, People's Place are right across the parking lot, and the people next door to them are friends of mine, the landlords there, which all have ample parking. So I was able to utilize their parking to sacrifice my own parking and 
basically we just set up our whole parking lot like a giant tent city. Um, this is another great example of how the communities are coming together. I had a bunch of, you know, 10 by 10 easy ups and a couple of tents here and there. And I put a thing out on social media just saying, you know, hey, I'm in search of a couple of tents just to pop up in the parking lot. I'm willing to pay cash or trade or borrow it or what, pay you a beer. Like, I don't care. Just reach out to me. Within 24 hours, I probably had... 12 tents. Wow. Sitting in my house. Wow. So, it, not in a bad way, in a good way, my parking lot looks a little bit like a tent city right now. Yeah, let me just um, say a little bit about that too, Tommy, because I, I was there yeah, playing yeah. and I was very impressed with what you've done with the place. For one thing, you've got this huge parking lot. You've turned it basically into a, you might as well call it a dining room, but everything is very well spaced. Yeah. You've got the tables well spaced. You have your patio looks great. You built this covid-friendly outdoor stage that i played on uh, you can see me you can hear me but I, i'm far away you know and it it, it just all worked out great I, you know all your staff is wearing masks you have a food truck out there uh, so you don't have to utilize the kitchen right now i i mean i i think you've you you pulled out all the stops and i i think it's going to pay off well thank you yeah hey um we tried hard you know and all those 10 by 10 tents are 10 feet so I know that if I put one table under each one and spend, space the tents out a little bit, we should be, you know, fine. And, you know, pretty much anywhere that there's any entry or exit, you know, whether it's the bathroom or the front door or the, and we've got two doors so that way people are coming in one and going out the other, but we've got, you know, hand sanitizer available at every spot and, you know, all those steps. We're just trying to play by the rules and air on the side of safety. You know, I, I get a lot of people coming and telling me like, ah, that's probably baloney. You don't need it. I'm like, well, first of all, it's the law, or, so we'll, we'll stick with that. And secondly, like, what's the big deal? Like, about putting a mask on when you come buy the beer? You know, you you, you can take your mask off when you sit down, but it's mm-hmm. not going to hurt anybody. It doesn't bother me. The last thing I want, well, the last thing I want is for another spike and then to have to backpedal and go back from stage three back into stage two or from two back into one. Like, you know, we don't need to, to digress from this. We're, we're getting through it and things are working. So uh, I'm of the opinion that we just, because it's working, that doesn't mean to stop doing the right thing, you know? You're doing it right, as far as I'm concerned. Well, You're doing it the right I mean, way. As an analogy, and I'll get off my soapbox, but I, uh, I personally have gout. And uh, I, you know, used to have gout issues and I started... I got put on a gout regimen, uh, you know, medicine, and I was taking, a, took one pill every morning, and my gout went away. And I was like, well, I guess I don't need this medicine anymore. <laughs> so I stopped taking my medicine, and the gout came back, you know? So, like, we don't need this with coronavirus. Like, we're so close to the finish line here that, you know, being vigilant, I think, is important to getting back to being able to socialize. Absolutely, and as a musician, I don't want this to last any longer than it needs to. I'm I'm trying to do everything I can so I can get back out there and we can kind of. And a guy that's trying to book musicians, I don't want it to last anymore either. I need, you know, I need Rick Z there playing and packing a house, but we can't do that yet. But I don't want that to go in the wrong direction. We're we're moving in the right direction. Well, while we're on the subject of music, let's talk a little music if we could. You've always had a lot of bands playing at your place. How many nights, now, I'm not talking about right this moment, but in general at Keegan Ale, how many nights a week did you have music? 
Well, pre-corona, we had music every Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. And then we kind of left Sundays wide open for um, benefits. Mm -hmm. And the benefits usually brought a band. So between three to four, I would say three and a half times a week. Where do you find your bands, Tommy? And how how do you vet them? And and what are your requirements when you look for music at Keegan Ale? That's a good question. I mean, we've been in business for 17 years, and we've been having live music for almost that entire time. And we've kind of gained a reputation as uh, as a music venue. I mean, we don't have televisions. We're not a music venue like, you know, Daryl's House or, you know, uh, the Falcon or the Bearsville Theater. But musicians come find us. And we've, you know, one musician plays in one band. And then he's like, oh, you know what? I play in another band that would be a good fit in here. Maybe I should introduce them. So it's been a decade long, at least, probably 15 years honestly, of um, building a reputation and a rapport with local musicians and then using their contacts to build on that. That's kind of how we just did it. It was kind of a word of mouth thing. Now that we're playing out there on the outside in the parking lot, and you mentioned in the beginning of your show that you know we had a corona-friendly stage built up, uh, which is true. We're just calling back all those people. You know, we used to be booked three, four months out, and then we had to cancel every single person. Uh, Because we're stuck on a smaller outdoor stage, bands like yourself, Rick, are um, a perfect fit. Some other bands are a little bit too big, you know? There's some bands that, we have one band that plays here a couple of times a year called The Big Shoe. Those guys draw three, four hundred people. I can't, I would love to book those guys because I know that I would make money doing it. Yeah. You know, they, they bring 400 beer drinkers in, but I can't do that yet. So we're just trying to, like, feel our way through right now. But we're trying to have live music. Um, today is Wednesday, and we don't have live music today because one of our um, bands that we're going to play just couldn't make it. I don't know the details. I forget about what those were. But Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So we're trying to do Wednesday through Sunday now of live music. Wow, wow, that's great. That's great. I'm and then glad we're closed on Mondays, Tuesdays we do trivia, and then you know we get some. And they're, they're gonna for the next two to three weeks. We're gonna be um, you know bands like I said, like yourself, or small acoustic bluegrass bands, or some. We had uh, Lara Hope and her husband Matt do some bluegrass, um, some rockabilly stuff like that. I was just going to say, there's a lot of businesses, especially in Rhinebeck, where I live, that have a big turnover rate. And I always thought to myself, I don't see them doing stuff. Why don't they do cool stuff? Where, where's the ladies' night? Where's the half-price half Tuesdays? All this stuff. One thing I thought that made your business successful is you guys were always trying stuff. You have trivia. You have music. You have all these events that go on. You, you, you remember Mason Jar Night was hugely popular. I mean... Yeah, you know, you know what that was hugely popular, and I appreciate you saying that. I didn't mean to cut you off, but when you talk about trying stuff, it doesn't have to be. I tried this for a week, and I can never change that model again. It's not like you're building a McDonald's and then you're going to turn it into a Burger King or something. It's like, hey, if I didn't draw a couple of people in, then we'll try something else. You know, I really never expected my Tuesday night trivia to work. I really. Just, I'm not a personally, you know, I don't do much trivia, although now that I have it here, I've gotten more into it. But people keep coming every Tuesday. It's not my busiest night of the week, but it's my most consistent night of the week. Just being 
able to try stuff or being willing. And then, you know what? You do it for a month and it didn't work. Okay, throw another model in there. And we've kind of come across a model. And I have a lot of people that come into our bar that are sports fans. Most people are. And they say, how come there's no, I can't watch the game. You know, they, the Yankee fans complain that I don't have a TV on all the time. Sundays, people call me up and they say, how come I can't watch football? And then when I actually have a conversation with them and I say, when we turn the TV off and we put the live music on, people come together in a much different way. And nothing against sports bars, but that's not what I'm doing. No. I'm doing something different. Absolutely. Absolutely. Tommy, did you once have Dave Mason play there at Keegan? (laughs) More than once. Many times. I thought so. I never made it. I've opened for Dave Mason before. I love Dave Mason. I hate to tell you, I don't want to... Um, first your bubble, but it's not the Dave Mason you're thinking. Of. Oh, okay. I, that that I didn't know. David Mason, and he just refused to change his name. No, he's he plays uh, he's, he's like you. He plays acoustic guitar, single, um, and he and he it was the real Dave. No, not the real. They're both real Dave Mason. <laughs> but the, the more famous of the two was uh, from what traffic, right? Yeah, from traffic. No, yeah. yeah, traffic. So uh, he always plays a traffic tune or two. And, and then jokingly says, I know there's a couple of you that showed up here to hear Dave Mason. So <laughs> even though my mom calls me Dave Mason, here's a traffic song for you. And he plays like he covers a traffic song or two. Um, just almost as a goof. I didn't know but that. Yeah. I just heard somebody say, hey, Dave, I heard Dave Mason played there. I've heard that. And oh, I'm like, no. wow. I, you know what? That's That'd be a good guy for me to get on my roster in the next couple of weeks because I forgot about him. He hasn't played in a long time. Um, But, yeah, whenever Dave Mason was on the website, the phone would ring off the hook, and people were like, is Dave Mason playing? I'm like, yep. And they'd say, (laughs) the Dave Mason? I'm like, I don't know. I'm pretty sure his mom calls him Dave Mason. And they were like, okay. And then... I wouldn't let them get off the phone without telling them the truth. Oh, it's kind of a fun joke to play on because people are like, you know, like, God forbid there was another guy named Mick Jagger, you know, that was going yeah. down. And, Wait, is Mick Jagger playing at your brewery? <laughs> yep. Yeah, right. Oh, man. There's some schlub that works as a dishwasher when he's not, you know, <laughs> playing the guitars. I haven't had the real Dave Mason play, but Lisa, who you know, who's for your audience, is. Uh, my wife and used to run the Bears World Theater for a long time. Sweetheart. She did have their, yeah, she's the best and she's talented at her job. She did have Dave Mason come play at the Bears World Theater, but that's a completely different planet from oh, the that's Dave a Mason plays that's a- Keegan of. Wow. You know, I've always meant to ask you, how did you get into this business? I mean, were you a home brewer, one of those guys, huh. and, and then it just grew from there? How did this happen? How did I get into the beer business? Yeah. Making your own All beers. Right. I was in the Coast Guard. And studying chemistry uh, with the anticipation of becoming a marine chemist, living in San Francisco at the time. And then uh, I was there when the Human Genome Project, I don't know if you know what that is. But yes, I do. They mapped the entire Human Genome Project, right? Yeah. So I was an undergraduate studying chemistry at that time. So I switched majors from regular chemistry to biochemistry, thinking I was going to study genetics. And I did study genetics for a long time. I um, I worked as a lab manager at SUNY Stony Brook. I ran the DNA sequencing laboratory for a long time. Wow. I actually bought the first robotic DNA sequencer for uh, the, the SUNY University system. 
So I was doing that, and then I um, I got a master's degree in fermentation science. I got the bug because I bought my dad a home brew kit uh, as a Father's Day present, which is coming up this Sunday. Happy Father's Day to all of you fathers out there. Yep. I like the idea so much that I went back and bought myself the same exact kit. So I'm studying chemistry slash biochemistry. And then my dad and I, my dad's on Long Island, I'm in San Francisco. We started home brewing together, although 3,000 miles apart. And from there, I ended up as the, I forget the steps, but fast forward, and I was the head brewer at the Blue Point Brewing Company, which is on Long Island. I love Blue Point. I used to go there as when I was the lab manager at Stony Brook. On Fridays, I was like, hey, man, I got a bachelor's in biochem. I got a master's in brewing science. And you need me to work for you. And the, the owner was the brewer. There were two owners that founded the company. And the one of the owners was the brewmaster. And he'd say, well, you come here and wash kegs for minimum wage. But no, I don't need you. So that wasn't an option. And I just kept staying there until their company grew to the point where they needed a real brewer. So I became their first head brewer there. And I worked there for two years. And then I owned a house on Long Island and my wife was pregnant with our second kid and all this stuff was going on and I gave my notice and I said, you know what, this has been great but I got to go back to the science world because I um, I got a mortgage to pay and mouth to feed. So at the last second, I found out about this building here in Kingston that was vacant. This was the old home of the Woodstock Brewing Company and had been empty for four years and the landlord was trying to get rid of the property and all this stuff. So I went from a low-paying, not very secure lifestyle to a less-paying, less secure life. But I was 32, I think. And my wife, Christy, and I looked at each other and said, hey, what the hell? If not, you can always go back to the lab and have a life there. So we took our chances, and, you know, here we are. And... You know, I haven't gotten rich quick doing it, but the lights keep coming on and you keep showing up to play music and I get free beer, so here we are. <laughs> no wonder why your beer is so good. You have a degree in all this stuff. That's amazing. Uh, let's just talk about the three basic beers for a second, just because I, I, now you've got many more than these three. We'll talk about that, but your original three beers were Mother's Milk, Hurricane Kitty, and Old Capital. I mean, these beers... Yeah, these beers are well-known all over the Hudson Valley. I see them on menus, you know, 75 miles. I swore here. I was never going to make any more beers than those three. <laughs> well, but, I mean, they're great beers. Five I mean, years, I never did. I lasted five years that I never made that just three beers. We ran this whole brewery off of. I think Mother's Milk is the darkest, and then Hurricane Kitty's in the middle. Old Capital named for the former Old Capital of New York, which is Kingston, where your business resides. But Hurricane Kitty, I, I always heard that was named for your grandmother. Can you tell tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that's the truth. Um, my grandma, we call it Hurricane Nana, because she was Nana around the Thanksgiving table, we call it Hurricane Nana. She got this nickname in the 60s. Um, from the police, believe it or not. My grandfather was an attorney, and it was a small town in uh, Long Island, on Long Island, in Patchogue. And she used to like, race my aunts and uncles and dad down to the, the ferries to go to Fire Island. And she got so many speeding tickets in one season that the police started calling her Hurricane Kitty. And the nickname stuck. Ah. So to tie back into a previous part of the story we were talking about, 
my dad, like I said, was home brewing. He didn't really fall in love with the process the way I did, but he and his buddies opened up the Brickhouse Brewery in Patchog in the mid-90s. And Hurricane Kitty was a cool name, and it was named after my dad's mom. So, you know, it, it worked. And uh, that became one of the flagship beers there. So when I opened up my brewery, it just seemed like a, a natural fit to bring, you know, Hurricane Kitty up to down the Hudson Valley and throughout the state. And, you know, the tri- tri-state area now. Actually, you can get in Bermuda, too, believe it or not. But, yeah, that's really just our family beer. We joke that, like, oh, yeah, we all, like, we brew it, we drink it, and if there's anything left over, we'll sell some to you, I guess. But really for us. How many beers um, do you have now on the list? Oh, no. Um, maybe 12. I like the IPA. On tap right now. Yeah, the fun is my favorite drink right now, too. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah, you know what's funny is Hurricane Kitty is, we call it an IPA, and it is, but it's from the 90s. Like 1995, I think we developed that recipe, maybe 94. Wow. So the definition of what an IPA is, it's very different. So people drink it and they're like, this is good beer, but it's not an IPA. Other than being an India Pale Ale, what, what exactly makes a beer an IPA? So the term itself becomes, they call IPA because in the broadest strokes, I would call it um, dry hopping. So what ha- the reason that that style developed is when the British in, uh, occupied India, they used to send beer from breweries in England to India, and they would send pale ale. But what happened was because they had to go all the way down around Africa, what's the tip of Africa, the Cape of uh, uh, Good uh, Hope? Cape of Good right? Hope, yes. You're good at geography as well as chemistry. <laughs> um, Lisa's a geographer. Uh, anyway, I, I think that's right. Don't hold me to it. But anyway, um, by the time the beer got from England all the way around and back up to India, the beer was spoiled. Hops themselves are a natural preservative. So... What the brewers in England would do is they would put more hops actually right in the kegs, which were like wooden casks at the time. As a preservative? As a preservative so it could survive the journey. And that slightly changes the flavor profile. And that's how India Pale Ale style was born. I never knew that. And they call that dry hopping because most hops are added before the fermentation process. So you, you add the hops during the boiling process. And that's where you get all the bitterness and all the other kinds of flavors and aromas. And then it goes into fermentation, and then it's done. But with IPAs, the aroma is a very important piece of that um, recipe design. And that's where that all comes from is because it was added after fermentation, after it was already almost packaged, like in the packaging stage of it is where it came from. And then like good Americans, we started the craft beer industry and figured that anything the British could do, we could just, you know, do on steroids. And we just, just added more and more and more hops to everything. <laughs> like, you got a car? We'll build a bigger fucking Lincoln Cadillac. And, you, know, <laughs> you got an IPA? We got a double IPA. And you like that. Yeah, you know, well, I'm all for me. it, I have to say. It's okay no, by no, me. One of those yeah, American it's, it's, traditions. Know, it is very, very American typical how we would just take something and just, you know, 
threw some steroids on it, you know. Tommy, we're almost out of time. I got one last question here for you, and I don't know if this is a, just a rumor. I, I want to uh, clear this up. Uh, it's I've heard this a, a couple of occasions recently. Uh, this could be a rumor like the, the Dave Mason misunderstanding. I don't know. But has Keegan Ale, it feels almost crazy even saying this, but has Keegan Ale been sold? Um, that's not crazy. Your question is very legitimate, um, just so you know. And no, it has not been sold, but we were in the process of taking on a major partner, and that partner would, in about a five-year uh, time frame, probably acquire all of our company. I've been doing this, I'm at 17 years now, and just so you know, I'm actually working on another master's degree. I finish up my MBA on Wednesday, a week from today. Congratulations. A week. Thanks. So I'll have two graduate-level degrees and a bachelor's. Fantastic. I actually also own an associate's degree in uselessness, but whatever. <laughs> but um, that would allow me to teach college at the graduate level, having two master's degrees. So my plan was to sell this company and stay on as the face slash GM of the company for the next three to five years. And during that time, transition from being the owner and running every little detail of it to kind of slowly but surely stepping away from the day-to-day operations and walking into a, um, I kind of want to be a, as, as like a retired adjunct professor. I don't want to teach brewing science as much as I want to teach business to the food and beverage industry. The Culinary Institute uh, is building a new business school, and I've got some friends and contacts over there that I think would I would be a good fit with. Um, so that is all true. Um, but if Tegan sold tomorrow, I would still be here as uh, running the ship for the next five years. But that was supposed to happen mid-April. We were shooting for either an April 1st or an April 15th to kind of just make it easy as far as like cut and pasting um, ownership for tax purposes. You know, that's a good time to do it. The end of the first quarter, the end of the tax year for both of our companies. And then COVID-19 hit and then kind of put a, it didn't put a kibosh on the deal. It just slowed everything down. Yeah. Because... Um, we've got a, it's, you know, because we're manufacturing alcohol and we are a public assembly place and a bunch of other logistical little details, we've got to go through the state liquor authority. We've got to go through the Ulster County health department. We got to go through the Kingston planning department. We got to go through the Kingston building department. We got to go through the Ulster building department. And just as we were about a month away, every one of those government agencies got put on hold. So we weren't able to, you know, every meeting got canceled, every, you know, all that stuff. But we're still moving together. Um, it's, you know, a little bit slower and behind schedule, but like every good project, I've been doing this long enough to know that if it's not behind schedule and over budget, you're not doing it right. They keep coming in here with their engineers and poking around, and we're both kind of we're trying to move as quickly as possible and stay on track of the government's timeline but the government doesn't know their own timeline so it's kind of hard for us to stay right at the right level yeah but that's that's the answer to your question i'm sorry if i got a little long no that's okay that's okay and and it does clear things up for me i was just like no don't don't sell it where are you going no but you're not going anywhere no i'm not going anywhere i'm just taking some of the responsibility off my plate 
taking some of my initial investors' money off the table, so they, you know, they let them get everybody gets paid. I get to kind of fade slowly into the sunset, but still be the face of the company, so that way we have a nice smooth transition. That at this rate, I see myself still standing at the helm until mm, 2024, 20, I'll be 55 years old and I've been doing this for 25 years. Like, all right, it's time for me to go do something else. Well, you've earned it. You've earned it. Tommy, thank you I'd so much. I'd love to be able to come in and drink a beer instead of pour a beer. <laughs> <laughs> well, your time is coming. Love you. Love the business. Uh, I've been so appreciative. Been so appreciative to you um, uh, since 2004. I've been playing there for 16 of the 17 years you've been there. So Yeah, you've been a part of our family for a long time. Man. It really means a lot to me. And when you're a musician, you're usually the bottom priority of any business. But we come in there and you guys have always treated us with a lot of respect and kindness and have always extended yourselves to us. And thank you for that. We've always really appreciated that, Tommy. Oh, well, that's nice to hear. I pre- I'm glad that you appreciate the things that we can do because there's times when, you know, bands say they need more money or they need this and they need that, and I can respect anybody's business decisions, and that doesn't fit. But you and I seem to fit well together, so that's always cool. I've always been happy, and my musical partner, Carl Kentucky Frizzell, would say the same if he were here. So Yeah, Carl's, Carl's tight. He's great. Oh, yeah, he's yeah, the best. And now that we're talking about it, i got to uh, give a shout-out to $2 Goat. i got to get them back in here because $2 Goat was the first band that ever played here, and they brought the idea of bringing live music to Keegan Al. Light. I didn't know that. They, yeah, do you know that band, Two Dollar Goat? I've heard of them, but I, I don't know them personally. They're, they're a little three-piece bluegrass band. They would come and buy growlers, and then they would go home and practice in their basement, and then go play out in New Falls or wherever. And they came to me one day, and they said, they told me that that's what they were doing every week, because I started to know them, recognize them. And they said, if you'll give us the growler for free, we'll come here and warm up here at the brewer instead of warming up to ourselves you know it's easier that we'd rather warm up in front of another band and another crowd instead of not and i said if you guys will do that i'll give everyone in the band a growler and for like a year and a half that was the paying wage that i had for for musicians it was like if you had a five-piece band i had five growlers if you had a two-piece band i had two growlers you know (laughs) and they really were instrumental in getting that off and then you came right behind them and Bob Cage, God rest his soul, I don't know if you remember him. I sure do. He's a great musician. I mean, he, he passed away recently. He was a great but fiddle player. Great, yeah, I only knew him as a guitar player. I didn't realize. He played fiddle on um, Pete Seeger's last album that he won a Grammy for. I didn't even know uh, that. Yeah, he actually got me invited to Pete Seeger's house once. I went wow. to Pete Seeger's house. Oh, man. And uh, like his backyard birthday party I got to go to because of Bob Cage. Yeah, I sat right next to Pete Seeger and he, you know what he said to me? What? You guys the ketchup. Um, we're eating cheeseburgers together. It's the only conversation I've ever had with him. Uh, <laughs> the man was profound. Was kind of a joke conversation. Yeah, he was. Um, he was, you know, up there. He was almost ninety years old at that time, and he kind of was hobbling around like a ninety-year-old guy. And then it's, it was really sweet. His um, grandchildren and nephews and great-grandchildren, even maybe, they all kind of—they're all musically talented, and they. They all jumped on stage and they kind of like grabbed Grandpa and they put him up on stage and he was kind of like like an old man hobbling around and then as soon as they put 
that banjo around his neck, 20 years came off his life. He oh, knew yeah. every word, every chord, every note. I mean, he was just on point. It was, it was a very cool moment. I was glad to be a part of it, and I really owe that to Bob. Wow, that's a great story. I remember when Bob and I were, we, we did a double bill at Keegan Ale, the two of us together. Not not intentionally, but but we we ended up doing that, and it was a, a lot of fun. He was releasing a... a yeah, that was probably a mistake on my part. Well, well, I wasn't going to throw you under the bus, Tommy, but, you know, uh, <laughs> it worked out great. And I remember he was releasing a CD that evening. So we said, oh, you know what, we'll do one set and then you guys can take over the rest of the night. And it, it was, I remember that night now that you're mentioning that. It, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, we've had a lot of good, you know, quality people like that, like you, everybody, you know, up and down the line, Tony Levin, however. Yeah. How about insane Shane McCain? He doesn't play live, does he? Shane <laughs> McCain, he um, his insanity webs, ebbs and flows. Yes. Um, he's been mostly sane lately, but he. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. No, it's it's kind of a good thing. And then he, you know, like he gets his new album idea in his head, and he goes crazy again, but in a fun way. He's a very healthy, fun, crazy man. He um, is. We've had him on the show. Oh, you have. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's fun. Um, I probably kicked him out of here six, seven, ten times. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I almost had to kick him out of here. <laughs> but oh yeah, I don't blame you. But then you know, two months later, um, I've got you know, I don't know, I'm doing a commercial on WDSE or something, and I'm like, damn it, Shane would be the right guy to voice this thing for me. Absolutely. I call him back up. We go down to the studio. We have a good time. And uh, and then we're back in like, fast friends again. We're, we're we're we've been close for the whole time, seventeen years. I, I met him in two thousand and three, so I've known him a long time. And he doesn't get offended when I kick him out. I'm like, all right, you're out of here. He's like, okay, I'll see you next week. I'm he's like, he's probably so used days. to it, you know. Yeah, well, yeah, he's self-named insane. I'm sure his mom didn't name him insane Shane McCain. He he picked that name himself, so. He knows what he's getting himself into. <laughs> he's smarter than he seems. I know that. Actually, that's true. And he's, he's a really sweet guy. He's, yeah. actually, he's kinder than he wants to come off sometimes. He comes off, hey, I'm this badass. It's like, no, man, you're a bleeding heart. He's like, I know. Uh, I know too. <laughs> he's, a, he's a puppy dog. He's a puppy dog. Yeah, man. He can't he can't fool me. Tommy, thank you again. Thanks for doing this, man. And I'll see you in a couple of weeks when I come back. You got it. Can't wait. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Thanks for being here, man. Talk to you soon. All right. Bye, Rick. Thanks again. You're listening to The Rick Z Show. I'm your host, Rick Z, produced and engineered every week by Rusty Johnson. Click subscribe and come back next week, and we will have another, most likely, phone interview, which is fine. As long as we have good guests, what does it really matter? But I'm looking forward to having people in studio again, and I'm sure it won't be long. Until then, stay safe out there.